blessing has been. Well, I'm going to preach to you about something that's uh, close to my heart and mind, fervency. Oh, I preached on that the other day, didn't I? Well, here it comes again. Fervency in our prayer life, getting fervent. You know, the book of Romans chapter uh, 12 and verse 11, it just says, talking about fervent in spirit. Just having a, a, a life that's uh, 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 something in your heart and mind that just can't be let go of. Fervency. But I want you to turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Psalm number 62. If you turn there with me, I want to read a few verses there out of Psalm number 62 just to get started uh, this evening. Uh, it's a psalm of, uh, of David. And David, of course, wrote a number of the psalms. And David had, uh, had uh, and understood a heart of fervency and a heart of prayer. And uh, we're going to start in verse number 5. And he simply says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. Then verse 6 says, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Do you think they might have got a song from that? I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I might have got a song from that. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is my God. But here's the verse about fervency. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Pour out your heart for him. God is very, very serious about prayer. God is very, very serious about the fervency of prayer and what we put into prayer. And I want to talk, I had a couple of points that I'm going to, I'm not going to do them all again, but I got a couple more that I want to talk to you about tonight in just a second. Let's pray together for a moment. Dear Father God, If you don't work in our hearts, if you don't bring us to a point to where we're like Jacob, where he could not let go, where we're like Job, where he fell upon his face, and like Isaiah, which he could not lift up his eyes, if we can't get to the point in our life to where talking to you and Getting answers from you is all of our life. Lord, we'll not have much to live for. Lord, tonight, open up our hearts to the word. Help us to understand the thing of fervency. Help each one of us to love one another and work one another to serve you till you come. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, prayer is something you got to learn. Do we ever quit learning? Uh, if you do, life gets kind of be an end. I think I told you this story one time. Uh, uh, did I tell you the story about the nuns up in Wisconsin? There's a group of nuns up in Wisconsin, and all of them live to be over 100 years old. And at the 100 years age, they have clear minds, they can still work like everything. Everything works well for them. And people got to wondering, that, that's a very, very strange thing. Wonder what, how, how they managed to do that. 
And so a bunch of them will their brains to science. And when they died, they opened their brains, and they were like 23, 24-year-old children, young people. And so they tried to figure out, how in the world did this happen? They looked and see what they ate. They looked to see what they did. Why were they so spry? And they found out one common denominator. Their order required them to learn something absolutely new every year. They had to come up with something they'd never done before and learn it in a year's time. Now, maybe that's the answer. I don't know what. But what I'm saying is you never can quit learning if you want to grow. If you want to be anything, you have to keep on learning. And we have to learn how to pray. We have to learn how to do it. It's the only way to receive and to have spiritual growth in your life. It's the only way you're ever going to grow in faith. It's the only way you're going to grow in trust. You're only going to way you're going to grow in desire for the Lord. But prayer with no fervor is shallow. Prayer that just goes to the Lord on a daily basis with no real heart in it is just shallow. It's like coming to God with an empty hand. It's like coming to God with no real desire for anything. Shallow, shallow prayer. And God wants a fervent, fervent heart of prayer. We can just tell by the Bible. James 5.17 tells us the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And uh, a couple weeks ago I talked about the simple fact that the Holy Spirit of God, when he came that first week with the people at Pentecost, he descended as a fire. He descended with fervor. You know that the people had a fervor in their life. They'd spent 10 days talking to God, 10 days pouring out their hearts to God. And then on the 10th day, the Holy Spirit of God descended, as it were, like a fire. And, and uh, then you know what happened. Peter gets up to preach. This fellow that never preached a message in his life gets up to preach. and 3,000 people got saved. wonder how that happened. wonder if that's not the reason why the Lord said, you tarry there 10 days. You sit there 10 days. And then something will happen. And 10 days later, that fervor was there. That fervor was at such a pitch that Peter couldn't quit. Peter couldn't stop. And then from that, the next days, the apostles... They go on, and a few days later, 5,000 people get saved. And it says at the part of that, and the Lord added daily to the church, such as should be saved. And it all started with fervent, fervent prayer. God wants us to have fervent prayer. We need to understand that. I got to thinking about that. God says we're warned very carefully about feeble prayer. Luke 18, 1 says, men ought always to pray and what? Not to faint. 
Men should always pray and not faint. In other words, for your prayer life to continue on, for your prayer life to be a daily thing that works and a daily thing that you can't get away from, a daily thing that grabs a hold of your heart and keeps you talking to God over certain things every single day, uh, uh, it's the only way it's going to work if there's sufficient fervency. Fervency. Our daughter Heather finished the eighth grade, and we had her in public school till the eighth grade, and uh, we knew we were going to take her out and put her in a, uh, we, there was no Christian schools up where we were. There was one 40 miles over the mountains, and we decided we are going to drive her 40 miles over the mountain to go to Christian school the next year. But before that was over, that was, uh, the day she graduated, she had a friend named Tabby Hall. This was up in Virginia. I do, Jackie and I decided to take her down to Roanoke and let them have a day together in Roanoke. Well, we're driving to Roanoke. And we got uh, just a little ways down on Interstate 64. It was Interstate 81, Interstate 81, uh, going towards Roanoke. And uh, Jackie says, I need a Dr. Pepper. So she told me, I need a Dr. Pepper. So we pulled into a little uh, filling station right there uh, by Natural Bridge, Virginia. And we went in and got our Dr. Pepper. I think I got me a Pepsi or something. I don't remember what it was. And I came out and I noticed that there was the... Uh, there was a little steam coming out of the uh, car, so I opened up the hood. It was back when you could actually do things to your own car without a master's degree in electronics. You know, when you could actually fix a car and do stuff with it. And I opened up the hood, and I was checking it and just needed a little bit of water, and I was putting some water in there. And I looked, and I was sitting there, enough when I was putting the hood down, I looked, and Jackie was slumped over in her seat, completely slumped over in her seat. I went around and pulled the door open, and Heather and, and Tammy were screaming, Mama's passed out, Mama's passed out. I reached out, I couldn't find a pulse. I, I put my hand over her head and I, uh, her mouth, and she wasn't breathing. I pulled her out of the car, and I laid her on the ground there, and I'm no, I'm no e, e, EMT, but they said later on, I, I, she's lucky she's alive, I'd like to beat her to death, trying to get her to do something. And finally, but, uh, but I remember this. When she was laying there, and I didn't know if she was alive or dead, I was crying out to God. I wasn't just saying, oh, Lord, Mom, Jackie's just got a little problem here. You know, we, 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 might, get, we might need to get something fixed here. It looks like she looks like a little bit of a wrong. Oh, no. Oh, no. I was crying. I was screaming. I was saying, oh, Lord, please, please, Lord, whatever. You, I don't know all I was saying. And then oh, a breath came out of her mouth. Fervency. Fervency. You see, God, we're warned about feeble prayer. There's got to be a time in our life. We need, to, we need to understand in severe times of trial and testing, when, when we are literally pleading with God, it's got to have some fervency with it. There's got to be something that comes from that. See, Psalm 62 says, pour out your heart before God. You see, there has to, fervency will keep you alert. You get fervent and you'll, you, you, you'll keep awake. It, it's something, doesn't it? Psalm 42, 1 says, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, 
So panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear, appear before God? I got to thinking about this, and not, there's some great examples in the Bible. Take your Bible with me, if you will, and turn to Luke chapter 22 with me. In Luke chapter 22, very famous story, very story we all know very, very well, each one of us. In Luke 22 and verse number 39, the Bible says, And he came out, this is Jesus, talking about Jesus, and went, as he was wont, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. Verse 40. And when he was at the place, he said to them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And when he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed. Now I want you to get this. I want you to get this really careful. Saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now we know that this cup was not the crucifixion. We know that he wasn't trying to get him out of going to the cross. I believe the cup that he was praying here to God for was that three-hour period of time when God the Father was going to turn his back upon him there at Calvary's tree and when for the first time in all the history of the world, for the first time, God the Father and God the Son were going to be separated one from another. And Jesus goes to the Father there says, if there's any way that it can be possible that this won't happen, it will be thy will. Then look what he says. And there appeared an angel from heaven unto him from heaven strengthened him. Now here's a key. Fervency. Well, they're going to see some fervency here in a minute. Will never happen until you have a humble spirit before God. Fervency will never ever happen until you're willing to place yourself completely at the disposal of Almighty God himself. Till you're to the point that not thy will, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus had come to a point of complete humbleness. Here's the very God, the co-equal with God the Father. But he says, I'm humbling myself before you, Father. If it's your will, let it be done. Look what happens. The angel comes, and being in agony. Now, what do you think he, do you think there's any fervor going on here? Do you think there's any fervor here? And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. There was such a fervent spirit with him at this period of time that it says that the sweat was like drops of blood. But it came from a humble, broken heart. Pour out your heart before God. But there was such a fervency there that there had to be an answer. It could not be something, I'm just going to pray it and go on my way. There had to be an answer. He had to know. God sent an angel to comfort him and let him know. Look what it says. And when he was rose up from prayer, he got up and was come to his disciples. He found them sleeping for sorrow. This, now here's we are. He said, said to them, 
I want you to go over there and I want you to pray. And what have they done? They've gone to sleep. And he said to them, Why sleep ye? Rise up and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. He's saying, if you don't understand, if you don't start learning how to get a hold of God, if you don't understand how important it is to be in touch with the Father, if you don't understand how important it is to get answers from God, fervency, fervency, you got to have it. You see, fervency before God counts in prayer time. God promises a rich reward. What I'm kind of saying is, when you come with a broken heart and with fervency wanting something, God knows it. God sees it. And God promises to reward it. Psalm 21, 2 says, Thou hast given him his heart's desire and has not withholden thy request of his lips. Why? Because he was fervent. Fervent, fervent in prayer. Now, fervency is not prayer. It's the condition of the soul getting ready for prayer. Fervency is not prayer. Just being fervent will not get you anything. You got to get your, it's a fervent, it's a condition of your soul. And God simply says this. He will give us the desires of our heart when the fervency becomes real. Delight thyself in the Lord also. And he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Psalm 37, 4. See, it's just right in proportion to our fervency. God looks down and sees this one person saying, Lord, I'd like you to bless my day. And he sees this other person over here and their heart's broken and they want their day to account for God and they're asking God to do something in their life that day. Which one do you think God blesses? Which one do you think God sees and reaches out and sends that angel? Reaches down and just touches them in that special way? That one that's got the fact that that heart has been poured out because they want something from God and will not be happy until they have it. You see, fervency is simply, do you really want it? Do you really, really want it? Or are you just going through the motions with God? My wife and I spend time in prayer every day. And this has really burdened my heart and soul with both of us. And I, I haven't talked to her about it, but I can talk to her right now because she's sitting right over there. I don't want it just to become a day, light, a day really routine with us. I don't want that. You see, if you're going to do something, it might as well be worthwhile, right? It might as well be worthwhile. And if you don't get your heart broken... You don't allow yourself to be humble and allow the fervency to be there. You see, because fervency has its seat in the heart. Fervency has it there. It's not in the brain. I am not going to thank myself in the fervency. 
I'm not going to do that at all. It's not an expression of the intellect at all. And it's not an expression of my emotional nature either. That's a Pentecostal view of fervency. It's not that at all. It's not that doing it. Uh, we can't create spiritual fervency. It's got to come from God. Where we have a broken heart. God says a broken and contrite heart I will not despise. And when we let that heart become broken, God puts a fervency in it. God says, I've got a place there. You can now call upon me and work with me. It comes directly from God. And that only comes when we stay in his word and learn what God has for us. I was praying about this in the second chapter of this little message I'm bringing you. And I thought of something. I thought of a story, and uh, uh, I just have to tell you this story. I was uh, just coming into my senior year at Tennessee Temple University, and uh, I was on the staff of the school and running the dining hall, and I, I had a few, a few ins with different people because I fed all those. I fed everybody. And so they'd come by, and, and, I, and I got to feed them. And Dorothy McCormick was Dr. Lee Robertson's secretary. And come, Dr. Robertson had given her the, uh, the job. There was uh, the, the church, uh, the original church, the original Highland Park Baptist Church was now a chapel because it was just uh, not big enough. For, they built a bigger building right next to it. And then there was another place called Sharp's Chapel down the, down the road there. There were two chapels that had overflow because uh, the main auditorium could only hold 4,000 people. So they, when they had overflow, they uh, uh, put them in, in those two chapels there. And uh, they used uh, faculty members to preach in those chapels. And Dorothy McCormick came to me, a student, one day and said, Walt, how would you like to preach in one of those chapels? No, a student had never done that. That was going to be a first. They asked me, she says, uh, uh, we want you to preach at Sharp's Chapel. And uh, so uh, I thought, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I'm a, I'm a Bible student. So, guess what happened? Walt Schmidt got the patent Walt Schmidt. Look at me. 3,000 students out there, you suckers, and I'm preaching at Phillips Chapel. Look at me. I'm somebody, I'm going to really do the job. Well, I was, I was for a Sunday evening, and I, there at, we fed the people, fed 2,000 students there at lunch on Sunday, and, and I'm, I'm finishing with the lunch there on that Sunday, and Dorothy McCormick comes stomping through in, into the dining hall. I mean, she comes stomping. And she walked up to me, and she shook at me like this. She says, where were you? I said, where was what? You were supposed to preach at Sharps this morning. I thought it was supposed to be in the evening. I missed it completely. I thought, oh, a chance of a lifetime for a student. I says, can I have another chance, Dorothy? She says, okay. And so about a week later, she comes to me. She says, you're going to preach Sunday night in Phillips Chapel. That's the original church. 
Well, you'd think I'd got over my pride, wouldn't you? I didn't. Ask her. She was there. I worked on it. I said, boy, I got the message, Jackie. Isaiah 1, 18. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. I'm going to preach this. I'll preach. Oh, they'll never, boy, they'll never have a student preach like that in this place. Not like Walt Schmidt preached. So I get over there on Sunday night. We're standing there up on the platform. Jackie's sitting out there in the seat. It seats about a thousand people in that, that one. Nobody came. Nobody shows up. Come to find out, Lester Roloff was preaching next door. Everybody got stopped in a big one. Who wants to listen to Walt Schmidt when Lester Roloff's next door? Number two, bam! So she says, comes the next week, she says, I'm going to, you can preach next Sunday night. Now, here was happening that week. For the first time in my life as a believer, I learned what humbleness and fervency is. And that next week, I spent time with her. I spent time in the Word. I spent time with God. I begged God and I asked God to forgive me. I asked God to, uh, I, I told him I was wrong. Asked him to watch over me and help me. And Jackie can be my witness. That next Sunday night, it filled up and four people got saved. When I preached that time. But what was the difference? Give your heart to God. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in that wonderful face. And understand who does the answering. Who does the work? Who really gets things done? Adonai and Judson, the great missionary, said this. A travailing spirit, the throes of a heart burdened with desire, belongs to prayer. A fervency strong through a dri- to drive away sleep which devotes and inflames the spirit and which retires all earthly ties. All this belongs to wrestling, prevailing prayer. The spirit, the power, the air, and food is such a spirit. Prayer must be clothed in fervency. We must get a hold of it. It's the only way. It's the only way. We must stay at it fervently. Romans 15.30 Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of his spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. We must engage in prayer with a fervent soul. When we fervently pray, true faith begins. When we make up our mind that God will answer, but on his terms and not ours. When we realize we just can't work it up, it has to come. And the way it comes is you get on your knees and you begin to talk to God. 
And you begin to tell him what you want and you begin to show him what you want. And you begin by asking him, first of all, show me right now, Lord, please, what sins in my life that needs to be confessed. And when God shows it to you, which he will, you confess it. And before you know it, God will begin to build a fervent spirit in your heart and your life. And before you know it, you will be talking to God and telling him the things he wants to hear. And before you know it, somewhere along in life, you will get an answer to that prayer. Fervency and prayer. Let's pray.